People are confused about Jesus today, just like they were in the first century. Who is this man is our message series, clearing up the confusion about Jesus and who he is. If you have your Bible, return with me to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John and chapter 6, and just hold your place there. Uh, I'll, we'll come back in just a moment as we return to our series, but hold your place there because I want to remind you of something uh, to celebrate this week. Uh, you say, well, there's not a lot to celebrate. We're one year into, this, this weekend was a year ago that we had our first suspension of services as the coronavirus began to spread. Churches like ours pulled back, streamed online exclusively for a while, came back in, maybe out again, those kinds of things. But it was a year ago this weekend that, that all that started. So here's some good news about this weekend. Four years ago, uh, this day, March 14, Christy Smith came on board as our worship coordinator. So thank her for her hard work and leading the worship in our church. And I, and I don't know, you know, she may have, in year number four, been rethinking that when, <laughs> when it was spent in the midst of the coronavirus. But I do appreciate so much her leadership in our worship ministries and connecting us, those of us in person with those of us online connecting us in worship. So we do appreciate that a lot. Be sure you are here the 28th, here in person or online for uh, the Easter music from our Celebration Choir. Uh, That's going to be exciting. Easter is always a wonderful time. You know, it is wonderful, even if we're behind a mask, it is wonderful to celebrate Easter and the risen Savior. Back to our message series this morning. Oh, uh, well, Pause too. By the way, those of you online, give Christy a shout out. If you didn't do that while we were applauding in-house, if you're online, give Christy a thank you and a shout out. Uh, Message series, clearing up the confusion about Jesus. And this is a great time of the year to focus in on Jesus Christ, who who he is. It's not hard to find the confusion about Christ in our culture. Did you know actor Brad Pitt was raised not only in a Christian home, he was raised by parents who were committed Southern Baptists, much like we are. Uh, that's the home that he was raised in. In 2019, Brad Pitt was interviewed by GQ magazine, and they brought up the subject of his faith uh, and where he was, uh, where he's been, where he was in the three decades that he's been in Hollywood. For most of those three decades, uh, he considered himself an atheist and then an agnostic uh, when, it, when it came to even thinking about God. But according to Brad Pitt, he had uh, embraced again a belief in God. And this is what he told GQ magazine. He said, man, I've gone through everything. Like, I cling to religion. I grew up with Christianity. I always questioned it, but it worked at times. Pay attention to that. But it worked at times, he said. Uh, Again, raised by devout Christians, Southern Baptists, in fact. But he said he found religion and Christianity to be stifling. That was his word. He said, when I got out on my own, I completely left it, and I called myself an agnostic. I tried a few spiritual things, but they didn't feel right. And over the years, he said he struggled with what he called Christian guilt over the things that he should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And along the way, he says he alternated between considering himself an atheist or an agnostic, and he said nothing really fit. Nothing really fit. He said, I knew after a while, he said, I realized I was really just being rebellious, he confessed. He said, I labeled myself an agnostic for a while because that felt like the punk rock thing to do. 
But then he said, eventually, he came back around to a fundamental belief in God. He said, I found myself coming back around to just believe in. And then he paused and he said, well, I hate to use the word spirituality, but just a belief that we're all connected. Now, if you're paying attention to that, you notice not only what he's saying, but what he's not saying. You notice what he's saying. He, he's defining his faith and the, the, the object of his faith by what, quote, works for him or what feels like a good fit. And he is defining it by spirituality and avoiding particulars. If you'll notice what he didn't say, he never said anything about Jesus. Never said anything about following Christ. Never anything about a confession of faith in Christ. Just back to spirituality and wrestling with these things. And I would offer that what he calls Christian guilt, uh, the Bible calls conviction of sin. That it's God talking to you about the fact that you need to get back in a relationship with Him. But you can't have Christianity without Christ. And if people are confused about Christianity, I guarantee they're confused about Jesus Christ. And if people are confused about Jesus Christ, I can guarantee they're confused about Christianity. And the core of that confusion typically falls into one area, viewing Christianity as another religion among lots of religions, and therefore viewing Jesus Christ as just another religious leader among all religious leaders. As we return to the message series this morning, that's where we find the conversation. You'll recall we're in John chapter 6 in a rather involved and winding and lengthy conversation that a crowd of people are having with Jesus on the shore of Galilee. Prior to this conversation, Jesus had miraculously fed more than 5,000 people on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The Bible reports 5,000 men, so you know those men had families, children, uh, parents, everybody was there. So far more than 5,000 were miraculously fed with loaves and fish. And you'll recall that story. And during the night, Jesus walked on the water to catch up with his disciples and their boat. And they, they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where the crowd finds them the next day. They're excited because Jesus has fed them miraculously with bread that obviously God Uh, miraculously and powerfully provided the loaves and fish and and multiplied the loaves and the fish for them. Very excited about this. They start engaging him in this conversation. And the conversation reveals common confusion about Jesus and who he is. The same confusion the people had in the first century that we typically have today. As we saw last week, we're often confused about, in our relationship with God, what he's supposed to do for us. And we we want Him to do for us and and give us what we want. And that's usually our approach to God. It's kind of a consumer approach. God, as long as you make me happy, as long as you fill my stomach, as long as you answer prayers the way I want you to, then I'll be religious. I'll, I'll, I'll call myself a Christian. That's the first approach we saw, the first confusion. The confusion we see in the crowd this morning is, is again, similar to what we see today. And that's the confusion over Who Jesus is. Is he a religious teacher like anyone else? Or is there something different about Jesus? And and why are we confused about that? What happens when we get confused about that? So drop into the conversation with me. We're going to look at John chapter 6 and start this morning at verse 26. John chapter 6 and verse 26. 
And the Bible says, Jesus answered. That is, he's in conversation with the people on the shore. Jesus answered, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs, that is, the feeding of the 5,000, but because you uh, ate the loaves and you were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me ever will, will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now move down to verse 40, from verse 36 to verse 40. Jesus continues, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started grumbling about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we now say, how can He now say, I have come down from heaven? Focus in on verse 42 for a moment. Isn't this Jesus? From Nazareth, whose father and mother we know, isn't this the same man that we've always known? How can he say, I have come down from heaven? See, they've accepted him as a religious teacher. They've even accepted the possibility that the reason he was able to feed them miraculously is because he might be the Messiah that God, they believed God was going to send to free them, liberate them from the oppression of Rome. But now Jesus is saying he came down from heaven. Well, they say, how, how could that possibly be? As far as we know, he's a regular man, and now he's a good religious teacher. And that marks their confusion. They see Jesus as just like any other religious teacher. A miracle worker, certainly, but any other religious teacher. And that's the core of their confusion, just like it is for a lot of us today. And when we're confused about who Jesus is, we, we ask and answer sometimes the wrong questions. Often we ask God, you know, what do you want me to do to please you? That's the wrong question, as we'll see in a moment. What, uh, God, how can I make you happy? Or God, what will you give me? And, and on and on it goes because we develop a works relationship with God. It's kind of like a contract. We think if I do this, God will do that. But that's not who Jesus is. So this morning, let's go back to the story, to the conversation for just a minute. And I want you to see with me what happens when we confuse Jesus with just any other religious teacher. What happens when we confuse Jesus with just any other religious teacher? Look at this with me for a moment. When you think Jesus is just like any other religious teacher, here's what happens. You stay confused about what God wants. You stay confused about what God wants. They say, what can we do to, what can we do to perform the works of God? They say, Jesus replies, verse 29, uh, this is the work of God that you believe in the one who, who he has sent. 
What can we perform? What can we do? What works does God want from us? This is basic human nature. Religion is about works. It's about doing things so that we please God. And for Christians, the most fundamental of those things we do, that our religious activity, is to come to church. We talk about it all the time. Come to church. Go to church. Come to church. Go to church. Uh, because in our minds, that means if I get up and I go do that, then I'm okay for the rest of the week. I've done the work of God. I've done what God wants me to do, and I'll please Him with doing that. It's a basic works approach. And then it's expanded in all kinds of other things. If I serve at the soup kitchen, God will be pleased with me. If I, if I work on a committee hard enough, God will be pleased with me. All of these are religious activities that confuse us about what God actually wants. Now, I'm not saying, don't hear me say, those are bad things to do. But they need to be put in the right perspective of why we do them and what it is God actually wants. Jesus answers that question. They say, what works does God want us to perform? Jesus says, here's the one work that God wants. That you believe in the one that he has sent. In other words, Jesus is saying, believe in me. The word translated work means action. This is the action that God prefers. This is the action that God wants from people. What is it? To believe in Jesus. Just that simple. Everything else comes out after that. Everything else comes out of that, makes sense from that. But if you, if you flip that around and you think what God wants is for me to work harder, for me to be more religious, you will never be satisfied and you have confused Christianity with every other religion. Christianity is not about doing things to please God. It's about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Every other religion in the world is designed for us to go up, to please God. It's, it's from us to God. That's why, by the way, in most colleges and universities, even a lot of those that are denominational, and I'll say it like Baptist colleges, they stopped calling the study of the Bible theology many, many years ago and started calling it religion. Because religion is a sociological project. It's what humans do to understand beliefs about God. That's not Christianity. Christianity is God coming to us. Because there's absolutely no way our good works are good enough for us to please God. So Christ did that for us. God has this one action for you to take. And if you do not take this one action, no matter how hard you work at religion, God is not accepting your works. It's not a replacement for this one action. Nothing you do is a substitute for this one action. What is it? Believe in Jesus. Put all your faith and trust in the one and only Savior of the world, the one who can trust you and who can bring you into relationship with your Creator, your Heavenly Father. Out of all the things we do to try to please God, that's it? This one thing? Yes. And then after that, everything else makes sense. You're not coming to church to, to, to check off a box and be religious. You're coming to worship, to praise your Savior who saved you from your sins. You're not serving on committees to check off a box and, and prove you're religious. You're serving in God's kingdom to expand the work of God. So your Savior who saved you from your sins, others can believe in Him and the Word of God will go forth. Doing this thing first. Trusting Christ, believing in Him with all your faith, all your trust in Christ. After that, everything else makes sense. 
If you think of Jesus as just another religious leader, you will always be confused about what God wants. Because every other religion teaches, God wants you to work hard. Be religious. Jesus says God wants you to trust in Jesus. To be forgiven of your sins and come back into right relationship with God. And I would say to believers in Christ, Christians, there's a problem with this among us. See, we, we tend to always gravitate back toward religion. We tend to always gravitate back toward good works, thinking, you know, I'll work hard and God will love me more. The problems with that are, are really pretty simple. First of all, God can't love you more and he'll never love you less. He just loves you. And if you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, God has forgiven, of your, forgiven you of your sins. There's not a religious work you can do to make that more forgiveness. God's already forgiven you. Now what he's doing is he's working through you to change you and make you more like Christ. And so you can impact the world for Christ. We gravitate back toward works because that's our old sinful nature. When you see that happening, get back with God and refresh your relationship with Him. Because Christianity and Jesus Christ, that's not about works. That's not about religion. That's about relationship with Christ. Here's the second thing that happens. When you think of Jesus as a, just any other religious leader, you stay confused about what God does. About what God does. Not only uh, what God wants, but, but also what God does. Now, pretty soon the story, the conversation starts to pivot around the idea of bread. And there's a good reason for that. When Jesus fed the 5,000 with loaves and fish, that crowd could hear the echoes of their ancestors wandering in the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt when God miraculously fed them with bread from heaven. That's what they came to call it, bread from heaven, uh, called manna. And the Bible calls it Manna throughout the Bible. Now, that name is important. The word manna in the Bible is not translated into English. That's actually the original word, manna. Because what the word means is, what's that? Or what is it? So, think about this. Every place in the Bible, if the word manna were translated into English, it would be, what is that? What is it? Because this miraculous food that very literally came from heaven. God showed them that. It came from heaven. Every morning they would get up. They would have to get what they could get before it spoiled. That was their food for the day. And the Bible really has no uh, description of it that, that's a fulfilling description. It doesn't tell the recipe for it. Uh, because the people of God weren't entirely sure what was in it or what it was. They just knew that God provided it. There are bits and pieces, but but not the full thing. So, they called it bread because that was the only thing they could call it, was, was bread from heaven. But at the same time, it wasn't the same kind of bread that they would make if they were cooking at home. They knew that. But they knew that it was bread, it was food that God had provided and He had provided from heaven. But He provided it every day that they needed it. And every day that they needed it, they had to collect it and eat it again for that day's portion. Now, when they're talking to Jesus, fast forward again to this story, they're talking to Jesus and they bring that up. And they make that connection. And they're saying, Jesus, you fed us miraculously by loaves and fish. And that reminds us that, that we've been taught the Messiah who would come to liberate us from the Roman Empire would feed us like Moses fed us. Now pay attention to this. Like Moses fed us in the wilderness 
And we had that miraculous bread from heaven. Here's what Jesus says. He says, first of all, Moses didn't feed you. God did. Moses was the go-between to get you to understand that it was God feeding you. God the Father miraculously provided for you this bread from heaven, and He did it every day out of His love for you. But in the bigger picture, Jesus says, don't miss this. God wasn't doing that for you, so you would remain focused on the physical and the material and the food all the time, which is what they're doing now. They're focusing on the loaves and the fish, and Jesus, do this for us again. God did that for you, so you would understand me, Jesus says. The manna from heaven foreshadowed the coming of Christ. The one true bread of life who would one day come. It foreshadowed the coming of Jesus Christ. See, they're confused about what God does because they don't realize that what the Heavenly Father has always been doing and what He continues to do, continues to do is point to Jesus Christ. To push our trust in Christ. To call us back and call us first time to Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing. Sure, God provides for our needs, but it's never God's end game to just provide for your needs. To just give you stuff. That's not God's end game. God's end game is for you to have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And every time God provides for you, God reminds you of two things. First of all, there's, there's characteristics, power, of God, character of God, you don't even know yet. Every time God does something in your life and provides for you, God is showing you something new about Him. The second thing He's doing is drawing attention back to Him. Not to the stuff that He provides, but to Him. That's what God's doing. And when God draws attention to Him, He's pointing the finger at Jesus. It is all about Jesus. That's what it's about. It's not about our religion. It's not about what we get from God. What God does is reveal Himself to you through the practical actions on earth so you will come to Christ. So you will trust Christ. So you will remember Jesus and what He's done for you. It is all about Jesus. When we think of Jesus as just another religious leader, we put Him in the same category as Moses, Muhammad, the Apostle Paul, go on and on. Jesus is not just another religious leader. Jesus is God in human flesh. And everything God does for you, everything God says to you, every call of God on your life is so you will participate with Him in growing in relationship that you have through Jesus Christ. You'll know more about Jesus. And listen, you'll become more like Jesus every day. The Apostle Paul wrote, God's purpose is to make us into the image of Christ. That's why He brought you into relationship with Him, so He could make you more like Jesus. If you think of Jesus as just another religious teacher, You'll always be confused about what God wants and about what God does. If you realize that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, come into the world for you. Jesus Christ is the explanation for why we have other religions. People seeking God but looking in the wrong places. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every promise of the Bible. 
And everything points to Him that God does. Then third, if you think of Jesus as just another religious leader, if that's what your mindset is, you'll always be confused about what God gives. What He wants, what He does, and what He gives. And you'll always be confused about what God gives. Jesus' response to the question about manna and and the feeding through the loaves and the fish brings up one of the most critical points of Scripture that's threaded through the Gospel of John from this place forward. Uh, If you've been a Christian a long time, maybe you've been in Bible study in Sunday school, you may have heard of what scholars refer to and Bible teachers often refer to as the I am sayings of Jesus. This is the first one. I am the bread of life. That is to say, it's the first time recorded in the Gospel of John. He says the first of seven of these I am sayings. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the water of life. I am the door. This is the first one. I am the bread of life. And this one helps us capture even more through its context the significance of what Jesus was saying. Remember, the people there, they're already thinking back to what their ancestors experienced with God in the wilderness and in the desert. Remember that. And that experience of manna was preceded by an experience of Moses when he's out shepherding the sheep. He has the goats and the sheep. He's got the flocks out in the desert and the wilderness. And he comes across a bush. And the bush is, the Bible says, burning but not consumed. That is, it's it's wildly aflame, but the bush itself is not being consumed by the heat or the flames. This gets Moses' interest. So Moses' curiosity is piqued. He walks up closer to the bush, and God speaks from the bush. And he commissions Moses to go back to Egypt and to bring God's people in slavery in Egypt, out of Egypt, to set them free. The single most significant event And all of Jewish history prior to the Holocaust was the exodus from Egypt. Everything they understood about salvation and God's character always went back to the exodus of Egypt. That's in their mind as well. Here's what Jesus does. He says, well, you remember the manna that came about later? Do you remember how it started? Moses, in front of the bush, asks God a question. Okay, when I get back to Egypt, if they ask me who sent me, Who do I say? In other words, God, what's your name? And God's response, the first time God names Himself in the Bible, His response is, I am. Sometimes translated, I am that I am, or I am and will become. It's kind of hard to translate, but it's it's how God names Himself. And what it means is, I am the one true timeless God. I'm the one God. I am. I've always been. I am right now. I always will be. You've got nothing to worry about. I am the I am. Here Jesus stands on the shore of Galilee. And the people themselves have hearkened back to this experience of God miraculously providing bread from heaven in the wilderness to feed them. Bread that had to be replaced every day. And He says, That's not the most important event. What I want you to go back to is when God the Father, God Himself, and God the Son named themselves, I am the I am who was in the bush that day talking to Moses. 
If you ever hear people say Jesus never referred to himself as God, you ever hear people say Jesus never believed himself to be God, point out this passage. This is an explicit reference to Jesus Christ telling the people of God who would have had no confusion at all about what he was saying if they were paying attention. He was saying, I'm the one that spoke to Moses in the wilderness, here now in human flesh. Each time, here and elsewhere, Jesus uses the I am statement. He does it with emphasis. In the original Greek, it's literally I, I am. I am the I am. It's, it's, it's me, right here. I'm, G, I'm God in human flesh. Come down for, from heaven for you. You want an explanation, folks? He says to the people on the Sea of Galilee, you want an explanation? Yes, I, I, I did grow up in Nazareth, but I preceded Nazareth. I was born in Bethlehem, but I preceded Bethlehem. I am timeless, and I am eternal, and I am your God. Moses worked for me. Wow. Why, then, Jesus, are you here? Why are you here? What, what, what is all this really about? I am the bread of life, verse 35, Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. What is the work my Father desires? That you believe in the one that he has sent. And if you believe in the one that he has sent, if you trust Christ fully as your Savior, you are trusting God himself to forgive you of your sins and satisfy that yearning for a relationship with God. That yearning that no religion can ever satisfy, but a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with your Creator, will always satisfy. Jesus says, you had to go out every day and pick up manna in the morning or it would expire. When you trust Christ, the bread of life, as your Savior, you will never be hungry, spiritually hungry again. You'll never be spiritually hungry, so you can also count on this. God will provide for your physical food as well. God will take care of you because now you're in right relationship with Him. And He'll always take care of you so you remember who Jesus is. So you worship Jesus. So you see God work in your life. That's not religion. That's relationship. What does God give? God gives life. God gives life. Oh, He takes care of us. But His end game is to give us life in Christ. And everything else He does for us is a reminder that in Christ we have eternal life. In Christ we are forever satisfied spiritually. In Christ we'll never go spiritually hungry or thirsty again. In Christ we have a real relationship with our Heavenly Father. The one that He sent from heaven. Everything else God does in your life is just a reminder of that. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Donald Miller is a Christian author. Speaks frequently on college campuses as well. And uh, several years ago, and he wrote about this in one of his books, he said several years ago he was speaking at a Christian college, a Bible college actually. A crowd of college students gathered in a room like this and he said, he said, I'm going to tell you the gospel 
but I'm going to leave something out. He gave them a heads up. He said, I'm going to tell you the gospel, but I'm going to leave something out. He said, so you look for what I'm leaving out as I tell you the gospel. Everybody ready? And they kind of went, well, sure, yeah, we're ready. So he proceeded to talk about the sins of humanity, homosexuality, abortion, uh, drug abuse, sex trafficking, uh, STDs. He brought up every sin or the result of sin that he could talk about and bring up and how the fact that those were sins and how the Bible teaches that those are sins. Then after several minutes, he moved from there to talk about righteousness. He talked about how we can be better and we can, we can grow in our nature and we can live God-honoring lives, that we can actually be righteous. And he talked about that for several minutes as well. And every eye in the room was glued to him. And he, he, he brought this depiction of the gospel for several minutes. And when he was finished, he paused and he said, Now, what did I leave out? And not a hand went up. People just looked around. You know how you do when you don't know the answer? You kind of look at other people. People just looked around. So he said, maybe you didn't understand the question. So I'll ask again. I just told you I was telling you the gospel. But I left something out. What did I leave out? Not a hand went up. Not a mouth opened. Not a person said a thing at this Christian college. So he said, let me help you out. I left out Jesus. I didn't mention Jesus. Not once. And nobody noticed. Then he went on in in his book to say why he thought nobody noticed. He said it's because Christianity has become social and cultural. That we are tuned into our feelings and our spirituality. We're so tuned into what God, what works we're supposed to do. how, How to be more religious. How to get things done in the world. Uh, and especially our feelings. We want to come to church and we want our feelings to be geared up. We want to be excited. We want to go out excited. He called it woo-hoo religion. But we've forgotten. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And everything that God has done along the way has had one objective. To point us to Jesus. Being religious will never satisfy you. Never. You're just working hard. Believing in Jesus will always satisfy you. And then your faith makes sense as an expression of that relationship with your God in Jesus Christ. Christians, listen. We always gravitate toward religion. We always do. It's the old pride of life. It's the old sinful nature that says, hey, you're good enough for God. But if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've already, already admitted none of your works are good enough for God. Christ died on the cross for you. Believing in Him is the one thing God calls all of us to do, and everything else makes sense after that. Let God search your heart. If you find in your heart, hey, I'm just going to church to check off a list. Hey, I'm just doing this or doing that uh, to, uh, to, to check that off my, my list with God. Ask God's forgiveness. Let Him teach you again more about Jesus. Let Him revive that relationship with Christ. And to those of us that have never trusted Christ as our Savior, here or at home, if you see Jesus as just another religious leader, you've been confused. And I hope this has helped clear up some of that confusion. God wants one thing from you, and that you trust Christ, your Creator, 
Christ Jesus as your Savior. The one who died on the cross for you. The one God raised from the grave and He's alive today. And if you ask Him into your life to forgive you of your sins, if you admit that you're a prideful sinner and you'll turn your back on that and start, walk, start walking with Christ, He'll forgive you of your sins, cleanse you, give you a home in heaven, and bring you into relationship with your God. That's what Christianity is. It's a relationship with Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment, God, thankful so much for this reminder that, God, it's not about religion. And it's not about our hard works. It's about Jesus and what He's done for us. God, I pray first of all for us, for me, for all of our believers in Christ, Father, You would forgive us for reducing worship to religion, for reducing service to religion, for reducing Bible reading and devotionals to being religious. God, we pray You'd forgive us, Father, for reducing our relationship with other people and with You to religious activity, to just asking You for what we want rather than serving You. God, forgive us for that. Father, show us now. If we're followers of Christ and we have gravitated back toward that old prideful self that says it's all about being religious. I'll check this off the list. Father, please forgive us for that. And Father, I pray each one of us, for each one of us, God, you cleanse our hearts. Restore that fellowship, that walk with Jesus. Grow us to be more like Christ. And Father, remind us right now where you're working in our lives. Point the finger at Jesus in our lives, God, and how you want to honor him and glorify him through us. Father, for those that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, maybe it's because they've been confused about who Jesus is. Maybe they're thinking, well, Jesus is just a religious leader like any other. Father, I pray that you've used this word to get through to our hearts. That maybe just one right now realizes it's Christianity and Jesus is not about religion. That you really want a relationship with them. So, Father, I want to pray a prayer with them right now. And I pray, God, you'd, you'd speak to their hearts even now. And I pray they would pray this, pray this prayer with me to trust Christ as their Savior. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. Jesus, I confess that I've been trying through religion to be good enough for you. And now I know I can't do that. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you're alive today. And I take this step of faith to put all my trust and faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Take over my life. I repent of my old life. I repent of my sins. And commit my life today to following Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness in Christ. Father, for each believer, I pray we have rededicated ourselves to our relationship with you. And for that one who prayed that prayer to trust Christ for the very first time, I pray, God, now they would connect with this church or another. They would connect with a believer to to help them grow in their faith and they would follow through with that commitment to grow in Christ. God, we praise you. We thank you, Father, for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, cleansing us of sin and giving us eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.